This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good evening, dummies. Monday, July 26, 803. In the immortal words of Ricky Vaughn, a banker in this. I know. I wore a polo. I don't know why I wore a polo. I usually wear my grunt style t-shirts, but I figured I would dress it up a little bit. This thing doesn't fit very well. I've grown since then. It's a nice way to say I've, I've become a muscle man. No, it's just I've grown a little bit. This was like a large and I need XL. I know. A humble brag, folks. Just suck it up. Deal with it. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. What are we doing tonight? Oh, I thought we'd try something new. We would play a little part cheesy. From there, we could go ahead and do Russian roulette backgammon. And then we could top it off with great white shark diving. No, no, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to talk about current events. And, of course, the Olympics are in my crosshairs tonight, so we're going to do that. My mother-in-law is in town. And, you know, you hear a lot of shit about mother-in-laws that they fly in on their broom. And I would say maybe 10 years ago I may have said that, but... She's an awesome lady. I have learned to just love her unequivocally, and she is a good grandma, and uh, she's fun to be around, and I'm glad she's here. I mean that with all my heart. No, I'm not trying to get in good with the wife. I mean that. Mother-in-law's, she's the exception, so fantastic. Anyway, folks, what are we doing tonight? Well, we've got three topics, as always. Another one, Biles the Dust. Simone Biles, probably the greatest Olympic athlete ever. And there's been a lot. Nadia Komenich, Mary Lou Retton, we can go on and on and on. But she is going to go down simply as the best gymnastic Olympian ever. And possibly one of the best Olympians ever for what she does. She's incredible. Nobody does it better. But what the hell is going on with the Olympics? I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of strange things that we're going to talk about tonight. And one of them is adding a... And here's the thing. I did a show earlier on women getting through special forces training. I've done plenty of shows on equality. But why is it okay, especially with a black female, African-American female, which predominantly doesn't own the sport of gymnastics because financially it is an investment that is just massive. And let's face it, there are not a lot of African-American families who spend the time in gymnastics who have the funds or the capability to get their children there because they aren't necessarily in the middle-class neighborhoods. Now, is that prejudice or racist of me? No, it's called the truth folks. And this is why, but Simone Biles is the exception. She comes from spring, Texas. It's a beautiful area. I lived in spring, Texas. There are some wonderful gymnastic places there and she has done the impossible, but the IOC is saying, Now we're going to go ahead, instead of doing the reverse where you would put modifications in special forces or in certain male sports to have a woman qualify, they're actually going to throttle her because she's too good. This is interesting. I think I got myself in some hot water basically saying that, but it's true, folks, and you know it's true. And that's the one thing you get from Don't Unfriend Me is at least honesty. She wore a teeny weeny yellow suit of armor and a pewter helmet. 
Well, that doesn't make much sense. What the hell is going on with women's outfits in Olympics? Can we do something other than dental floss and two half of a walnut? What the hell is going on? What are they wearing and why? Now, let me get this straight, and I understand it. You don't want loose-fitting clothing for a female playing volleyball. It's a little bit different with a male with no shirt on. He's going to wear shorts, and he's got a Speedo on underneath. But let's face it, folks. Women have some more things on top that they don't want popping out there. So they wear these tight pieces of clothing and these bottom halves that have been around forever. And honestly, these women are in incredible shape. Who cares what they wear? I'm not watching that. I'm watching the unbelievable display of athleticism. But for some reason, gymnastics and beach handball? What the fuck is beach handball? I never even knew it existed. We're going to talk about it tonight. And why can't women just wear what they want? Why do we have them parade in these skimpy outfits? What is this, Lord of the Dance? We'll talk about that tonight. Lastly, 1984 called, and they want you to knock this shit off. What is going on with this Orwellian future? It's like Animal Farm and 1984 combined into a real bad movie worse than Ishtar. Censorship on an epic scale from social media sites like Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, YouTube are all doing the same thing in an effort to do what? Is it to subvert elections? Is it to stop people getting their feelings hurt? Or is it something more sinister? Is it something larger than what we see right now? Can we see the forest through the proverbial trees? And the answer is, I don't think we can. We're going to talk about all this tonight. I feel like a banker. I feel like I need a tie. I haven't worn this, any collared shirt in at least two years. This was normal for me, man. I would wear a suit and tie to work every single day. I was dressed up. But lately, with working for Apple, working for FOV and for Valor, dress code's been jeans and t-shirts. This is a little weird for me. I feel like I'm going to prom. Oh, well, I'll get over it. Folks, the joke tonight. Now, I'm off to a roll when I said that Unfortunately, African-American families have a harder time entering gymnastics. But let's face this, folks, something I do know for sure, and whether you like to hear it or not, the same holds true for hockey. It's a very expensive sport, and it's not predominantly in inner cities or middle-class neighborhoods. It is an upper-class sport. And now we're seeing more and more African-Americans coming to the NHL, which is a damn good thing. We need to do the same for Olympics. But instead of focusing on things like that, we're focused on teeny-weeny yellow polka dotted bikinis. But anyway, the joke, and I apologize because everyone's going to hate me after tonight, but I'm pretty sure my three listeners already did. Why does Mexico never win the Olympics? Because everyone there who knows how to run, jump, or swim is already in the U.S. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back, relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, welcome, dummies. I appreciate you stopping by tonight. It was a long weekend. I missed y'all. Everyone knew I was in Facebook jail. I found a way around it. You guys saw my family and I play in rock band. We're excited. Grandma's going to try it tonight. We're going to have to get her to do something and that should be fun. I will record that as well. But dummies, welcome. Welcome to episode 195. Who am I? My name is Matthew Spear. I'm your host of Don't Unfriend Me. Feels good to be back. I will be walking you through this excursion tonight. To be open and honest with you, I have Republican views. I have some left-leaning views. Not leftist, but 
fairly moderate liberal blue collar beliefs when it comes to social type ideology. But when it comes to economic, military, how to run our government, which is the least amount as possible, I'm definitely a Republican, but I'm not an ultra right winger and I'm certainly not a lefty. I'm kind of just that person in the middle who brings a balanced approach to it. Now, I definitely lean a little bit right. There's no doubt about it, but I have gone after both parties and the middle and pretty much no political affiliation tonight, which we're going to be going after social media and the Olympics. And those have become political, but that does not necessarily make them political. Where can you find me? Well, you can find me on my social media sites down here, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Hey, if you are a fan of any one of those sites, great. Head on over to any of them. If you're an Instagram person, social media, Facebook person, YouTube, whatever, stop on by. Throw me a like. I'm over there on at Don't Unfriend Me on Instagram and YouTube and at Don't Unfriend Me host on Facebook and Anchor and all podcasts. Stop by, say hello, and give me a like and a share. If that's not your particular brand of vodka, you can reach me at don'tunfriendme.com. You can see all my catalog there, my videos, my podcast, and my blog, and just stop by and say hello. Last thing, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Like I asked you right down here in the little red envelope on YouTube, like and follow on Facebook. Thank you for tolerating all of the advertising. The last thing until we get into the show, there are two types of people on my show. There are the dummies. The dummies is a good thing. That's the don't unfriend me's. Barstool Sports has their stoolies. I have the dummies, and you are most assuredly a dummy if you're watching now or you've watched all 195 some on episodes. As there are dummies, there are dum dums. They're a special kind of sucker ran by Dusty Dinkelman, the first dum dum. Hasn't been around a lot lately, but we're going to keep his picture up as a fond memory, kind of like a trophy on the wall. Folks, let's get into it. Another one biles the dust. First, it was the women's soccer team dropping their game to Sweden 3 0. And it was a shot heard around the world. The women's soccer team has dominated this sport all over the world in all the Olympics and worlds and juniors and everything else. It has been America's sport when it usually, from the male perspective, is anything but the United States. It's been an amazing thing. We have slowly seen teams start to catch up. But this was a surprise, a 3 nothing shellacking. The women's soccer team losing. Why? Well, we can sit here and think about it and we can say, well, it's because they hate America and that they believe their sport should receive equal pay as men, even though nobody watches them except for every four years. But it isn't because of that. Well, it could be in addition to that. They're old and their coach is inexperienced. They've been around since God was a corporal and they have no new blood and the level of competition that they've experienced in previous years. And this happens to teams in teams that are laced in reality, which this team and the next one have not been. We can also take a look at men's basketball. This team got dominated by France. They sure can't win a war, but they can beat the United States basketball team. I would have put money on war before beating the U.S. men's basketball team. Yes, France. What in the French bread is going on here? 29 years and a loss? Then they drop one to Australia? The fucking Aussies? What do they know about basketball? That's doubling up the amount of losses they've had at any level in 29 years. And I don't care if it's a real game or an exhibition. It's like Drago versus Apollo Creed out there. I must break you. Drago doesn't know it's an exhibition. And in this scenario, we are Apollo Creed and Rocky isn't there to throw in the towel. He has COVID and is taking a knee in spirit. Whatever it is, the reality is 
is that this will be the first Olympics I haven't bled every waking second watching since 1984. And it's simple. I care about as much as the athletes as really nothing else. I don't care. I don't know any of them. I haven't gotten to know any of them. The greats, the ones that we've been watching the last 20 years are gone. There's a bunch of watered down coverage. It doesn't feel real without people in the stands. I could handle football. I could handle hockey and baseball, but I can't handle the Olympics. There's something about having people in the stands that makes it real. There's a lack of superstars. The generation that we know is gone. How can we relate to these new athletes? Well, we have Simone Simone Biles, don't we? She isn't going to burn the flag, right? She isn't going to take a knee. She is going to dominate as always, right? We can rely on this. Well, not so fast. Simone Biles has been dominating her competition for her entire career. We've all seen it. And she could be crushing her opponents by even wider margins if only the powers that be in international gymnastics would let her. The four-time Olympic gold medalist made history at the U.S. Classic last weekend when she landed a Yurchenko double pike vault. And even though the feat is so challenging and dangerous that no woman had ever dared to try it in competition before her, the authorities of elite gymnastics awarded Biles a score on par with many of her other less difficult vaults. It doesn't seem to be consistent, quote, with what they've done with other vault values, United States Women's National Team Coordinator Tom Foster said of the scoring evaluation per the New York Times. Quote, I don't know why they do that. Despite Biles and her unprecedented feats, her potential points in the competition are significantly restricted. Scoring in high-level gymnastics is markedly different than in most other sports. Rather than athletes earning points throughout the performance, the decision-makers at the International Gymnastics Federation, the FIG, pre-assigns scores to routines based on difficulty of skills involved. Then judges evaluate execution in real time, docking points from the potential total every time a gymnast makes a mistake during the program. Does that make sense? Probably not. Essentially, it's subjective bullshit and political, just like ice skating. And honestly, we've seen that, that these scores are never consistent but even less so when it comes to Biles. Because Biles regularly achieves physical feats other gymnasts can only dream of. The degree of difficulty associated with her routines, particularly on floor, balance beam, and vault weren't some of the highest possible scores the fig doles out. And let's be completely clear, she is probably better than most men. She is incredible. And that doesn't usually translate well in sports. Usually men can do it better, faster, etc. And the top male athletes would wipe the floor with her. But she could actually compete. May not win, but she could compete with what she does. She enjoys a huge margin of error as a result. She can get away with flattering or faltering during a performance because her floor is higher than most of her opponent's ceilings. But that's the system that Fig established. So as she's pulled off increasingly complex and hazardous skills, Biles expected her point values to increase accordingly, and they haven't. Quote, they had an open-ended code of points, Biles said after the U.S. Classic per the Times, and now they're mad that people are too far ahead and excelling. This weekend's vault wasn't the first skill the 24-year-old felt was undervalued by the fig. Ahead of the 2019 World Championship, Biles expressed how pissed off she was over the gymnastics governing bod- body's unfair valuation of her eponymous 
balance beam dismount. Am I in a league of my own? Quote, yes, but that doesn't mean you can't credit me for what I'm doing. Listen, Simone Biles is arrogant. She has a right to be. She is the best in her sport. She could use a humble sandwich once in a while, but that doesn't matter. The things that she's doing, the way she's revolutionizing the sport, and honestly bringing attention to a sport which is fairly dull outside of every four years, maybe they should listen to her. Quote, they keep asking us to do more difficulty and to give more artistry, give more harder skills. So we do, and then they don't credit it. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think we think it's fair either, Simone. Gymnastics leadership blames restrictions on safety, but Biles suspects otherwise. Biles suggested that the FIG has serially undervalued her skills because they, quote, don't want the field to be too far apart, she told the Times. If the FIG keeps provisional scores low, Biles' thinking goes, then other gymnasts have a fighting chance. But there's another force at play, and it's one Biles acknowledged during the fight over her balance beam dismount two years ago, rewarding harder, more perilous skills with significantly higher payouts incentivize athletes to take risks. For Biles, there's little downside to risky exploration, but she's arguably the most athletic person on the planet. For other elite gymnasts, many of whom are still teenagers, experimenting with dangerous skills can be lethal with just the smallest of missteps. But here's the thing. If she constantly is outperforming everyone and you lower the quality of her score or keep it even with people who are less qualified or have less of a skill set, then this whole thing is a fucking beauty contest. It's a popularity contest. There is no rhythm. There is no laws to your scoring. And this makes it not a sport. It makes it a popularity contest. And in response to Biles' critique of her balance beam dismount valuation in 2019, the FIG's leadership insisted that encouraging athletes to put themselves in harm's way would be irresponsible. Well, you know what? You go to the 80s and the 90s. They want their policy back, too. Go look at Mary Lou Retton. Go look at all of the freaking stars who played injured because they wanted gold. Quote, there is added risk in landing of double saltos for beam dismounts without twists and with twists, including a potential landing on the neck. The FIG statement read, per NBC Sports, reinforcing there are many examples in the code where decisions have been made to protect the gymnasts and preserve the direction of the discipline. But rewarding no longer dictates risk for Biles, who strives for new heights simply because she can. Without the incentive of a major point payout, one might suspect Biles would stop pushing the bounds of gymnastics and physics in her final year competing. Instead, she's once again up the stakes, heading into her swan song at the summer's Tokyo Olympics. Her Yershenko double pike vault at the U.S. Classic was just the latest example. Biles pulled off the historic feat knowing full well that she wouldn't be compensated adequately. Quote, I feel like now we just have to get what we get because there's no point in putting up a fight because they're not going to reward it, she said. After the event, per the Times, quote, so we just have to take it and be quiet. So why does Biles continue to aim so high? She offered an in- some insight to Will Graves in the AP column. She says, now it's just for myself. And this is an epidemic we're going to see in the next portion of the show. Everybody's in it for themselves. If we are using reverse sexual discrimination on her or reverse racism, They are basically saying that there are no other athletes who can compete on her level. And by scoring her higher, therefore, everyone else is lower. Unfortunately, that's the way it works. Why don't you ask anybody who played against Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? Anybody who tried to stop Barry Sanders from running up the middle or to the outside? 
Anybody that tried to go ahead and forecheck Gretzky, anybody that went ahead and tried to stop Dominic Hasek in net, what about anybody who pitched to Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, even though they were roided up? Or how about anybody who swung a club against Tiger Woods in his heyday? Folks, this is what sports is all about. Cream rises to the top, and there will be elite athletes and players, and they should be recognized for what they do. But there is a lot of money in gymnastics. There's a lot of politics in gymnastics. And nobody stopped Michael Phelps from sweeping the floor for three Olympics. Why are they stopping Simone Biles? Nobody said that Michael Phelps had to put weights around his ankles or wear something that would hinder or slow him down a little bit in the water because he was a fish in the water. And she is as graceful as the best ballerina and as powerful as any male athlete could look. She is the exception to the rule. And when you hinder her and you clip her wings, you lessen the sport. If I was the IOC and the Gymnastics Association, I would let her fly. I would let her wipe the floor with everybody and raise the standard and create some competition that's worthy of world stage instead of the popularity contest and Miss America pageant. Because the only thing that they're going to add any time that's going to be somewhat interesting is possibly them getting a question like, if you could have one thing for the world, what would you want? I doubt that Simone Biles would say world peace. She would say somebody that I can actually compete against. She wore a teeny weeny yellow suit of armor and a pewter helmet. As of last week, I had never even heard of beach handball. What the fuck is beach handball? Sounds like something you play with your girlfriend or boyfriend underneath the blanket. Would you like to play a little beach handball? Just the tip, just to see how it feels. But now it's top of mind, thanks to the heroes of the Norwegian women's national team. That's another thing I did not know, The Norway that Norway has beaches. How is it warm enough for sports other than ice fishing? Anyway, for years, the women of the Norwegian beach volleyball, or excuse me, handball team, have politely protested the, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Let's see, um, sexist, misogynistic, idiotic requirement that they compete while wearing tiny bikini bottoms. Their protest produced no changes from the European handball authorities. Yes, there are European handball authorities. It's possible that these rule makers is the single largest employment sector in Europe. So the women from Norway elected to make their own change. They decided for themselves to wear shorts. Men play beach handball in shorts, proof that it can be done. The sackums of the European Handball Federation were scandalized. Women dressing themselves? What's next? The athletes, athletes were promptly fined. You did not read that wrong. You did not hear that wrong. You did not see that wrong. They were fined. In the year 2021, an organization led by people named Michael and Martin ordered a group of young women to pay fines for declining to compete in wedgie-making lycra panties. The rot in this episode is plain, a level of chauvinism little changed in over a century. Back then, women who wished to compete in sports were required to wear flowing skirts to preserve their modesty. Now they're required to wear bare, now they're required to bare their abs and show their ass cheeks. Maybe we could get them sitting side saddle and equestrian in nothing but a tube top and lace underwear. Doesn't that sound delightful? The one constant is that women are not deemed capable of deciding for themselves what to wear within the bounds of fair competition. 
The power instead lies with rulemaking bodies dominated by older men and the marmish matrons who enable them. Instructively, while the Norwegians were being docked for choosing mid-thigh shorts, a track and field official in England was scolding the Welsh Paralympian Olivia Breen for wearing two brief briefs. We're living in 2021, not the 18th century, Breen protested, adding, it made me question whether a male competitor would be similar criticized. Good for her. We all know the answer to that. Though most sports regulate the clothing of competitors, they're called uniforms because they're the same for everyone. We are accustomed to seeing male athletes customize their kit. Male swimmers can choose cuts ranging from brief to nearly knee length. Basketball players wear supportive garments under their uniforms that may be hidden or may go to their wrist and ankles. Baseball players maintain a lively diversity in the length of their pants from the high, stockened look of Jose Altuve to the grass-skimming cut preferred by Shohei Otani. No great imagination is needed to see where the handball honchos are coming from. Their rather obscure sport is a close cousin to beach volleyball, which made its official Olympic debut in 1996 in Atlanta and immediately caught the male gaze with its bikini-clad female athletes. I have been watching since 1984. I had no fucking clue. No doubt promoters of handball would like to experience a similar jolt to their TV ratings, ticket sales, and merchandise sponsorships. Well, then guess what you do? You go ahead and do like curling does. They don't wear skimpy bikinis. They put a product on the ice that people could understand. They put exceptional commentators. They put a great team together. They showed it during the regular season, during the, the Worlds and the Juniors. They showed it on major sports channels on the weekends, and they got people interested. They also invested in curling centers all across the United States so mom and dad could go out and play and be like their favorite non-scantily clayed players. They didn't need to show tits and ass. All they did was create a sport that actually people wanted to participate in. But the handball authorities are leaning and learning the wrong lesson. To grow the popularity of beach volleyball, the ruling federation of that sport has empowered women with more uniform choices, not fewer. Women are free to continue wearing two-piece uniforms with minimal briefs. Some athletes prefer them, they say, because they trap less sand. During the racing, leaping, and diving of competition, that can be uncomfortable. Sand in your area, no fun. But guidelines also allow for long-sleeve uniforms preferred by some Muslim athletes and an assortment of styles in between. Most important, the rules say only that two players that make up a team should agree on which uniform to wear for any given game. These sounds like they sound like very accommodating rules for everybody. Choice of uniforms not only respects the integrity of athletes, but it also allows an outdoor sport to go global, unhampered by changes in cultures and climates. The preferred uniform in Malibu and Redondo Beach, California may not work in Iceland or Egypt or fucking Norway. Let's not slide over the integrity of the athletes. There's something wonderful going on in sports. Athletes are challenging the feudal tyrannies of expletive federations, league associations, and organizing committees. It's important. And I love that work because I believe Olympic athletes are treated horribly. Horribly. And there needs to be reform, including the rape culture that was inside gymnastics, which still hasn't been addressed. But it's happening in U.S. college sports, too, where the U.S. Supreme Court weakened the stranglehold of the NCAA last month, and it's happening on Norwegian beaches. College athletes should be paid and compensated for their time. These college campuses make millions of dollars a year off these athletes. We need to give more to our college athletes, and some of them 
don't go to the NFL. In fact, most of them don't. Most of them don't go to the NBA. But what do they have? They have horrible brain trauma, bad knees, or they have things that plague them the rest of their life. Why they go ahead and try to use their degree for something other than football, baseball, basketball, or any of the other sports. Professional golfers have essentially owned and operated their own business for decades. Likewise, professional tennis players have great influence over the direction of their sport. And we all know basketball superstars such as LeBron fucking James are now essentially steering the courses of their chosen teams through Chinese exploits. What they figured out is this. The only essential ingredient of sports is the athletes. Everything else is infrastructure. Michael Wiederreiter, Wiederer, whatever, president of the European Handball Federation, whatever, nobody cares, should be asking athletes what he can do to enhance their skills and highlight their talents, not orchestrating the coverage of somebody's glutes. Here's the thing. I love the Olympics. I think it is hands down one of the best things ever on TV when it's on. For three weeks, my wife and I go into a coma induced by the TV. We live it, eat it, and breathe it. And there is a level of excitement that we can't explain. We haven't watched one event this year. The amount of politics going on in the Olympics, it's almost like let's let all this shit and dust settle and we'll watch it four years from now. We don't want to hear about knees. We don't want to hear about protests. We don't want to hear about skimpy clothing. We don't want to hear about equal pay for women. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't care. We just want to watch these kids do something amazing. We want to go ahead and detach from politics, but we can't because it's infested in everything we do. And that's kind of strange for someone who has a show that's surrounded by politics, but at least you know what you're coming for. I'm not sitting here doing a triple Lundy. I'm not going to go ahead and do pole vaulting. I'm not going to go ahead and be the greatest Olympic athlete ever in the decathlon and then turn into a woman afterwards. Folks, you get what you get from me. Occasionally, I get dressed up for the show like I am today, but that's it. We don't want it in our sports. We get it on social media. We get it on TV. We get it around the water cooler. We just want to detach from reality and pretend that we're Sean White going down the pipe, that we're Brody Miller going down the Super G, that we're Michael Phelps looking like a dolphin in the water against a bunch of humpback whales. That's what we dream about. That's what we want to see. So could we please get over this grab ass before the Winter Olympics? Can we please solve all this shit? So I can enjoy the Winter Olympics? Or is it going to be about what we wear then? Or is it going to be about which flag? Or if men get paid more than women? And are we going to ruin a time-honored tradition of celebrating our men and women of this country waxing physicality through superiority and elitism that we've never seen before? They are gods on the field. And we're turning them into a bunch of jesters. 1984 called, and they want you to knock this shit off. I want you to imagine the year is 1984. One company, Microsoft, dominates the computer world. It's their way or the highway. Conform or die. This snapshot in time was perfectly captured in one of the most famous commercials in TV history, my old alma mater, Apple. And it was set in a gray, dystopian future, row after row of men staring blankly at a giant screen from which Big Brother, the all-powerful leader from George Orwell's classic novel 1984, addressed them. 
Suddenly, riot police burst into the hall, chasing a beautiful blonde woman in a white shirt and red shorts. Those shorts were showing too much. She should file with the IOC to wear full legging. Okay, whatever. Before they can grab her, she hurls a sledgehammer into the screen, shattering Big Brother and his grip on the masses. The narrator informs us that Apple's breakthrough product, the Macintosh computer, will be the device that sets us all free. And looking back, Apple largely lived up to its promise, and maybe in some other things other than the Mac, but it was a revolutionary device. And honestly, the commercial was an overspend and didn't do much good. What happened was the product was excellent. But Steve Jobs was an amazing marketer. A new wave of companies were formed each in its own way, followed the example set by Steve Jobs. Google gave us instant access to vast amounts of information. Facebook gave us a new way to connect with friends that MySpace couldn't. And fuck Tom anyway. And we could also connect with family and the world. Twitter brought this world to us in real time, but in only so many characters. And YouTube allowed anyone with a smartphone to become a virtual broadcast network unto themselves. It was glorious and empowering. But that was yesterday. Today, it's 1984 all over again. Big Brother is back with an important twist. Our former liberators now want to be our masters. Apple, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, the giants of social media are demanding conformity to their values. It's their way or the highway. Conform or die. This mental image is perfectly captured, not by an ad, but by the recent real-life scene. Row after row of men and women stare up at Tim Cook, Apple's CEO, as he makes a presentation, ironically, before a civil rights group. He says, we only have one message for those who seek to push hate, division, and violence. You have no place on our platforms, Cook tells his audience. You have no home here. Hate? Division? According to whom? The answer is obvious. According to Apple, Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, they are becoming the big brother. Big brother Orwell foresaw. Conform or die. Cook's ideas are exactly the same as his fellow chief executives at Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. I once wrote Tim Cook. I've met him one time, and I wrote him an email, which I got a bunch of shit for. Nobody writes Tim Cook. Well, guess what? I did. And I saw him in the Senate Oversight Committee where he went up there for six hours and literally just owned every senator, Democrat or Republican, and represented our company. As a stockholder, I wanted to congratulate him. So I did. I wrote him an email. Because I'm an owner of stock. I have a right. And I did. And I just said, Mr. Cook, I've never been so proud of a leader since the military. Thank you for your leadership and your amazing tact. I am proud to work for you. He wrote back, Matthew, thanks so much for your kind words. I really appreciate it. But see, most people didn't have the, the stones to write Tim Cook an email. But I felt it was important. And just as much as I defended him that day, I'm going to lambast him right now. If you disagree with uh, Big Brother on, say, politics or morality, then Big Brother will shut you up by shutting you down. And what is it that Big Brother doesn't like? Well, Tim Cook said it. Anything that doesn't conform to his left-wing ideology and worldview, the examples are numerous and growing, and Tim is no longer down the center of the road. He used to be a privacy CEO, and now he is all about conformity. Megan Murphy, a Canadian feminist, is permanently banned from Twitter for refusing to refer to the transgender by their preferred pronoun and for writing, women aren't men. Google, Facebook, and Twitter all at various times refused to carry political ads from Tennessee Republican candidate Marsha Blackburn, promoting her conservative views. She's hardly the only one this has happened to. 
As many of you know, YouTube continues to restrict over thousands of different segments of people like me who are trying to go ahead and speak the truth. We are trying to bring a message to people. It's not hateful. It's just as honest as we can be. But some people find my stuff inappropriate for children. Well, then don't watch. Inappropriate for your delicate sensibilities. Then don't watch. Broad-based studies by the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology and by Northwestern University have confirmed that subjects of all varying types of degree can create emotional feelings in people. But it doesn't matter whether you're a conservative, it doesn't matter whether you're a liberal, or you have bias or no bias. Google, Facebook, Twitter have no right to stop the conversation. And this is the bias we can plainly see. What we don't see, what Big Brother hides from us, is what is referred to as shadow banning. Maybe even more pernicious if you're on the left, maybe you're okay with this. But if you're not on the left, or even if you are, you reverse the First Amendment, you should be concerned, very concerned. We're advancing swiftly toward an Orwellian 1984 world of stifling one-way thinking, conformity. This time it's not a fictional story, it's real. I was just recently banned because someone decided to come on and troll my page and push my buttons. And I guarantee the things that I'm saying are not horribly offensive. I would say them in an open conversation. And the word bitchy is not calling someone a bitch. It's saying you're complaining. And that's what bitchy means. And if you look it up, it also has several other meanings. But in my context, I should have been asked, how did you use this word specifically? But I was banned. If I do it again, I get banned for a month. And then my account is gone and don't unfriend me no longer exists. I've just realized that I will no longer reply to people on threads unless it's positive. Because there are people out there who want to get me banned. And that's their job. And that's what they do. And that's what they enjoy doing. They get you to say something stupid and then they report you for harassment. And Facebook is all too eager to help them. What's the solution? Can we simply return to the open market of ideas that serve big tech so well for so long? Stop the censorship and let people make up their own minds? Otherwise, America and the rest of us and what we have known as a free world will cease to be free. And that's how serious the big tech threat is. Listen, I'm a person who amplifies great ideas for companies and individuals as a career. I know voicing opposing and controversial ideals leads to breakthrough solutions neither side considered. Many times you share a lot more in common than you think. I want to read my friends' feeds on the left and my friends' feeds on the right. Even if they're angry, they're not being shown to me. I'm being shown what I am being considered is a Republican view, and left are considered leftist views. There's no opportunity for crosstalk or conversation anymore. I want to have open discussion across political views on the internet. I want to be corrected when I'm wrong and challenged. As long as we're respectful for each other and we're not making things up, I don't care. I hope you want that too. But let me warn you, especially all my lovable lefties in this moment, don't force conservatives to make their own apps, ISPs, and technology because we will likely just do that, even if you ban it with Parler. The days of the printing press are done. We no longer use telephones like we used to. Email is archaic as the telegraph. The new way to disseminate and process information is social media. We can pretend we don't use it for our news, but we do. We consume over six hours a day on our devices, and every marketing team has made the transition. We were never throttled to buy a paper. 
We could always get firsthand accounts. We could always trust the news to tell us what we needed. All of that is gone, and the only thing left is the social tech giants. And they are erasing articles, wiping opinions from existence, removing people from the conversation, and hiding behind their terms and conditions to avoid addressing the First Amendment. We have freedom of press, assembly, religion, speech, and the freedom to petition our government, but we are missing one that is now the master of our hive mind and intellectual stagnation. Freedom of the Internet. It is an entity that is no longer an IP and a random URL. It is a living, breathing thing and more impactful than a billion Library of Congresses. And second to space alone and its vastness. It needs to be free. It needs to be addressed. Facebook may own its platform, but it's powerless without the Internet. A broad sweeping piece of legislation would hamper Facebook from unfettered power, similar to removing bullets from a gun. Take away the ammunition and it becomes a piece of iron. Take the internet from the social media giants and they become as flaccid and impotent. What social media is doing is censorship and more importantly, filtering what is not wanted to create an Orwellian construct. We need to amend the First Amendment. We need to add a sixth caveat to the most powerful right we possess outside of the second. Because if we don't, we will forget what we have already lost and may never find again unless we act now. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back tomorrow for 196. Thank you so much for joining. I will go out like I always do with the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. Please do me a favor. If you know a veteran who is struggling, reach out. This number can help. Give it to a veteran. If they are not willing to talk, give me a call. I will make that call with you. And if that doesn't work, they can stop by my site at www.donunfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link and get the help that they need. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all real. And our veterans are struggling. They need our help. If you need help and you're not a veteran, the veteran crisis will not turn you away either. Make that phone call. It could be the best call you ever make. Help vets, folks. Too many of them are dying 22 a day. That is it for my show tonight. Please give me a like, share, and subscribe right here on the red envelope. Thanks for watching. Share with your friends, and I will see you tomorrow, Tuesday night, for 196. Go Astros.